Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast. Ten years ago this month, the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission opened its doors for the first time. Much has changed in that decade, both for the ACNC and the nation's charities. Just a few weeks ago, it was announced that the ACNC would have a new commissioner, the former chief advisor to Justice Connect's not-for-profit law program, Sue Woodward. She starts next week. The outgoing commissioner, Deborah Jenkins, has been acting in the role for four months, but has a keen understanding of how the commission has become integral to the nation's charitable landscape. Deborah was a deputy commissioner with the Australian Taxation Office, and in this conversation, she provides some timely insights into just how much the ACNC has achieved in its first decade. I was interested in your statement on the 10th of November, which you tabled in Senate Estimates, where you said, in December, the ACNC will celebrate 10 years. Although our objects remain the same, our work has evolved. So can you give me a bit of a sense of how you think that work has evolved? Whenever you are starting a new regulator, you need to really focus on putting the process in place, helping people know who you are. Nobody knew who the ACNC was, getting the right people, finding your feet. Clearly, still we had the three objects and they remain really, really important. But I think with any regulator or actually any organisation, you go on a journey. And now we're actually in a time where we're actually thinking about the future. We're at a different level of maturity. And probably also I think the sector is at a different level of maturity as well. Just like every organisation, we say to them, do you check your purpose? Do you make sure that you're still true to your purpose? Are you still focused on your purpose? So I think it's actually the time for the ACNC to do what it's telling the charity sector to do, which is, are we still relevant? Are we doing the things that we need to do to make sure that we have this robust and thriving charity sector? In the short time you've been there, do you feel confident that the answer is the affirmative to those questions? Yeah, I mean, the passion and the dedication that I've seen, not only from the ACNC staff, I've just been blown away by how passionate they are. Many of them were there for the task force and for the beginning of the ACNC. But also, I think it feels like it's so well cared for by the charity sector. Everyone wants the ACNC to be a wonderful regulator. Everybody is in the ACNC's corner and absolutely want to support the ACNC. So I think it's in a really great position to do that. Got to think about how do you be a regulator in times like this? So thinking about the importance of cybersecurity. If we'd been having this conversation 10 years ago, I bet you we wouldn't have been talking about that or not maybe with the same level of authority. Thinking about how do we use more products digitally? How do we work together through harmonisation? How do we reduce red tape? So I think we're taking a lot of those concepts that were around 10 years ago and actually putting them in a modern context as a regulator. How much more adaptive and flexible does the ACNC need to be in the next 10 years of its life? I think any regulator needs to always stay on its toes. If you think about the advances we've made in COVID, who would have imagined that you and I would be doing this by Zoom? It's just about the pace and actually always looking to the future. How can we do things better? What is the latest technology? What are the good ways of doing consultation? What are the trends? What are the mega trends internationally? And how can we work together? So you would have seen 
the organisation from several steps removed in your previous role at the ATO. Does it feel different from the inside to the way it looked from the outside? Not only did I know it as the ATO, but obviously I knew it as someone who works with charitable organisations, the PNC, those sorts of things. So I guess I'd seen it really probably more as a, as a customer than I had from the ATO perspective. And so if I were to think about what surprised me most when I went into the ACNC was actually a very small bunch of very dedicated people who achieve an amazing amount from taking lots and lots of queries and phone calls, doing webinars, making sure people understand what they need to know, where people are getting it wrong, helping them get back on track. And then there's the kind of how do we work with others in the system to reduce red tape, the amazing amount of work that gets done. And so how integral do you think the ACNC is to our national charity landscape? How does it support it? What does it bring to it? How has it made itself, in a sense, indispensable in that landscape? Yeah. I was reflecting as we come up to our 10-year anniversary from some speeches at Susan Pascoe, who is the inaugural commissioner, and in 2017, and she was reflecting on the ACNC, and she was thinking about the fact that before it started, charities weren't required to report annually. There wasn't really any charity governance. There wasn't much guidance out there about how to be a charity. Where did you go to complain? All of those sorts of things. And so I think the landscape has really changed in those 10 years. And people now know that there is the ACNC. They know who the commissioner is. They understand the principles of governance. And even if people don't always get it right, I can tell you in the vast majority of cases, it's not for lack of trying. And for me, I think the charity landscape has changed that the ACNC is such an important part of that. As a regulator with our three objects that remain true today, but just as we talked about earlier, um, sort of in the modern context. So you mentioned data. What part does that data now play in what the ACNC is, both in terms of how it supports the sector, but also what it asks of the sector? Data is very important. But when you think about the information that we get both at registration, but then also annually through the annual information statements, we actually get to understand the health of the system. And if you think about the number of people that are employed by the sector, 10% of the workforce is actually employed by the charity sector. We get to understand what sort of programs that people are contributing to. And we also get to help people by using the data and making it visible through something called the Data Cube. And we also give the data to data.gov.au. You could actually work out, well, hang on, I'm passionate about setting up a charity. How do I find out who else is doing the same thing? Who could I talk to? Will I actually be treading on someone else's toes? One element of data is making it really visible and transparent so that people who are donating can trust and have a really good awareness of what they're doing. The second thing is actually helping people who are thinking about setting up a charity understand how they could work with another charity, complement another charity, or maybe not go there because actually someone's tried in that space and it didn't work very well. And I guess the other thing I've been thinking about too is data for policymaking. One of my advisory board members often says to me, do we know how many Australian charities are actually working overseas? And wouldn't that be a really important thing for a visiting politician to know? Who, you know, Can it visit the charities overseas? Or even, for example, something I'm really keen on, 
is thinking about charities, but not in the charity sector sense, but actually they are in the health sector. They are in the education sector. They are actually in the housing sector. And how do we actually get all of the policymakers, so not just the charity policymakers, but actually the policymakers right across there to know who they should be speaking to. And even in times of crisis through floods, who is in that space and who can help? So you're obviously leaving next month. So with those kind of ideas Mm. and plans, what happens to those? It's going to be in very safe hands. Sue Woodward is the incoming commissioner and and I must say a big welcome to Sue. Sue was one of the first people I called when I was temporarily appointed to this role to just get a, a feel for the landscape. So Sue and I have already met and been talking about these things. It's ultimately up to the incoming commissioner, the strategic plan, the corporate plan, where are we going? But I know from talking to Sue, those are all of the things that are top of her mind as well. So I think it's a really exciting time, isn't it? 2023, with Sue at the helm, really next 10 years for our little toddler who's all grown up, I think she's going to do a really wonderful job. In the past couple of years, an issue that has become intimately connected to the political sense of the application of advocacy in charity work. And it's become a bit of a hot button topic. Do you have a perspective on it in terms of how the ACNC can best filter those kinds of issues, especially we've got a state election in Victoria, we've had a federal election, and we've got New South Wales state election next year? It's really important that charities know that they can undertake advocacy. There did seem to be a a misnomer when I came in that wasn't possible and that some charities did say to me, Deb, I'm I'm actually a bit worried. I don't want to do it because I'm worried I'll be on the wrong side of the ACNC. So the first thing is it is absolutely part of meeting their charitable purpose and their ultimate purpose to comment on policy or to talk about how they would advocate for particular outcomes. There are some areas where we don't go. And so at times coming up to, as you say, the Victorian election or at the times of the federal election earlier this year, we're out there just reminding people that they actually shouldn't be advocating for a particular party or a particular politician. But absolutely, it's important that people look at the policies and think about how the policies achieve their charitable purpose. At the heart of everything in the charity sector is all about going back to your purpose, your reason for being, why do you exist? And as long as the advocacy work that you are doing is consistent with that, then absolutely, it's very much part of being in the charity sector. So just getting that message out there, and that's been something that I've been really focused on in the four and a bit months that I've been here. Do you reckon that the ACNC's work over the past decade has shifted the way Australians think about charity organisations and not-for-profits? I think it certainly made them more highly visible on a national scale. One of the challenges in talking to some charities was that a charity is no longer based around state borders. If you think about the visibility of charities, they really are very much operating nationally. You think about social media and things like that. So for me, I think what the ACNC has done is lift the status and the trust and confidence that people can have in the charity sector. And I think that can only go from strength to strength as we work on things like harmonisation of of fundraising. States and churches have been working on that. When you think about the fact that people can report to us and we share that data with the states and territories. So I think it has really grown in prominence and been the place that people go to to get their advice and support. 
If I think about things like our online learning tools, our training tools, this is something that we've put ourselves out there and said, here's the place that you can go to for trusted information so that we can build a really strong charity sector in Australia. So COVID in particular, and as we alluded to earlier, it's had a, quite a profound impact on the charity sector. How is it manifest in the relationship that your organisation has with that charity sector in terms of being able to assess the health and well-being of the nation's charities? I often reflect on COVID and I think one of the impacts it had was our ability just to get out there and meet people. And I don't know about you, but the things that you learn from just sitting and listening and chatting and having a cup of tea that you don't have on a Zoom call, you don't have on a Teams call. And so I think we've missed that. And I really enjoyed going around the country and just having a cup of tea or a coffee and hearing about what's happening on the ground. So that's been really important to me. So I think we have missed that. But there is, even in the last few months, we've been able to start that again, and that's been really beneficial. For example, we had our first in-person advisor forum the other week. And just the quality of conversation in the room such a different level of conversation and problem solving. But on the flip side of COVID, I think it's actually done though, it's helped us to be a bit more thoughtful about how we engage. For example, we can have more representatives from the charity sector who are from a remote and regional. Normally they wouldn't have been able to fly to Melbourne for a meeting, but actually they can have a Teams meeting and they can participate. So I think it's also allowed us to think about how we deliver some of the things that actually work very well online, but actually also thinking about what things don't work so well online and, you know what, they actually require an in-person conversation. So I think that applies not only to the charity sector, but just as an employer and thinking about how we make the best use of the time that we've got together in a room and how we make the best use of that time where you are just sitting quietly doing some strategic or contemplative thinking. And I think that's actually really exciting because one of the things that I know we've struggled with is how do you get the voice of the smaller charities? How do we make sure that in our sector advisor forums, we're not just hearing from the voices who have the time to contribute? And uh, that's why we've set up things like our consultative forum, which actually any charity in Australia can sign up to that. And we'll let people People know when we are consulting on particular things and that's the sort of thing that we can do online so it doesn't matter if you're in Toowoomba or if you're in the Sydney CBD your voice is actually able to be heard and reflected in the work that we're doing. So that consultation process is an innovation isn't it? Is there a particular reason why it's taken 10 years to get to that particular element? Yeah, look, I think just reflecting on any regulator, and I've worked as a regulator in Australia, New Zealand, and in the UK and across Europe, and I think there's always a level of maturity. And when you start, you're sort of so focused on getting things set up, and then you have a bit of, is it a norming process? And then you go, you know what? We could enhance this. And so I just think we're at the part of the journey now, which is what can we do better? How can we do it better? And that was an initiative of Assistant Commissioner Anna Longley. She really felt that was something that we needed to introduce. And I think it's a great idea. What do you think you'll take away from this to the next role you have? And are you returning to the ATO or are you taking some time away? The first thing I'm going to do is go on holiday. On the 12th, I am going on leave. And I'm actually, you'll hear my Kiwi accent. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend some time with my family in New Zealand. I haven't had a New Zealand Christmas for a really long time. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. But what will I take away? I have learnt a lot 
about the charity sector. And I have learned about the passion that's in the charity sector and simple things that I've taken away. For example, I've thought, you know what, I'm a busy person, but I can volunteer a bit more of my time. So actually, there are some things that I've really thought about. How do I encourage my friends and family to also give their time to the sector and to volunteer as well? The other thing I've really learned is how to work through uncertainty. There are times when we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with staffing issues, we don't have all the answers. And so as a leader, it's actually okay not to have all of the answers. And so I think that's been really interesting for me. I'm not a subject matter expert, but what I can bring to the table is ways of thinking, problem solving, experience and consultation. And so combining those things, I've really enjoyed. And look, I've just really enjoyed learning and meeting inspiring people in the sector. Something I didn't realise or appreciate is they're so generous with their time. So it didn't matter who I rang. And I said, can I have just, I'd just love half an hour to just hear more about the sector and what we can do differently. Every single person said yes. And almost every conversation went for an hour and a half because we had so much to talk about. So I'll take away with me the passion of the sector. And I really do wish it the very best. And also Sue, I wish her the very best as well. That was the Philanthropy Australia podcast. I'm Nick Richardson, and thanks for listening.